Distro hopping, the idea that Linux is fun and the myriad ways people put distros together should be reviewed often. My name is Moss. I live in eastern Tennessee. I'm Dale. I live in northeast Ohio. And I'm Eric. I live in southwestern Florida. Welcome to Distro Hoppers Digest. We love checking distros out. New distros, new versions of older distros, and even some we may have overlooked. We each have our preferences in complexity or desktop or package management. Perhaps we can help you find a new distro or better understand one that has piqued your curiosity. The idea of this podcast is that we each install a new distro to our chosen hardware for three to four weeks and use it as much as possible, perhaps even as our daily driver. We record all of our trials, tribulations, fixes, and what we like and what we don't. I tend to take on the more advanced distros and give them a go. Well, I tend to prefer looking at distros that would be kind to a new user, especially one who is hoping to move over from another operating system, such as Windows or Mac OS. We intend to give as much information as possible on each distro, and we will also mention what hardware we are using and might comment on how we think the hardware may affect the rating. Welcome to Distro Hopper's Digest, episode 48, recorded on November 22nd, 2023. For this episode, we will be reviewing Linux Mint Debian Edition 6 Fay, and we will be doing it collaboratively. Monthly foibles, wherein we discuss what we did this month. I spent several hours one morning reorganizing my external drives on my studio machine. When I was done, all my ISOs and my timeshift directory were on SDC, and everything else, documents, music, pictures, etc., was on SDB. I refer to these drives as Slowpoke Ramirez and Speedy Gonzalez. Anything exciting going on with you, Dale? I took a couple days to work on the cable management of my two desks. After some drilling and a lot of Velcro straps, I have my main desk finished. One nice addition was mounting the 24-inch TV that was in my company's truck onto an Ergotron single monitor arm that I wasn't using. I found myself using my 10-inch Lenovo Yoga Smart Tab more often. This is more convenient after uh, driving all day. Or night, depending. My second desk is waiting for longer HDMI and DisplayPort cables. I also need to work on routing the network cables for the two desktops under it. Next on the list will be the entertainment center that houses my servers and my network equipment. My next task was to get my T560 with the Ultra Dock in my bedroom set up and my used Lenovo ThinkCenter Tiny. I'm using a spare 24-inch Dell LCD monitor with the UltraDock. I backed up the XFCE settings and wallpapers from my previous desktop, then installed Void XFCE on the T560 and restored the settings. This is such a great feature of Linux. In less than 30 minutes, I had a fully configured and themed computer. For my Think Center, I bought a Samsung F27T450FQN, which is a 27-inch IPS flat-screen monitor at 1920 by 1080 resolution, 75 hertz. It has two Display Ports and one HDMI port, two USB 2s, 
and it also supports AMD FreeSync and is frameless on three sides. I was going to install Debian 12 of i3, then I remembered I wanted to give Fedora Sway a longer look. I'm not used to Fedora, so this will be a learning experience. I don't know if I will stick with it, so I'm going to use it while I'm away at work. Hopefully I'll have a better feel for it when I get home. I want to record this episode on the Think Center instead of my Pangolin. I did take a look at Wayfire and Sway on Debian 12 before installing Fedora 38. Neither one was configured, and I didn't want to take the time to configure them. A friend ripped her last contact lens and asked me if I could take her to the eye doctor. We both had errands to do, so we made a day of it. We finished off with dinner at Olive Garden, though we were early enough to catch the cheaper lunch specials. I spent the remainder of my time keeping the couch company while watching TV. How about you, Eric? It's, it's a very noble deed to keep the couch company, that's for sure. <laughs> they do get lonely. <clears throat> they do. They just sit there, you know, waiting for someone to come and hang out. Oh my. Well, I haven't had a lot of time this month to pursue tech projects uh, other than to continuing to use and test the Dell Latitude 5290 which is a two-in-one tablet PC. Uh, I've had it for just over a month, and in that time have mostly been using Fedora 39 Workstation. It came with Windows 10 pre-installed, which I have upgraded to Windows 11 just to do some testing. I haven't used it a lot, uh, except to kind of, like I said, just check on perf performance and battery life and more or less a baseline just to kind of see how the system runs that versus running a Linux distribution. It's fine. You know, it's Windows. <laughs> it is what it is. I think we've all had to use it at some point or another. Windows 11's a, a little different, but you know, it's, it's still Windows. So I wasn't getting great battery life with Fedora, which was disappointing. So it's kind of propelled me to continue looking. I've also been wanting to test Chrome OS Flex, uh, which is the version of Chrome OS that you can run on non-Chromebook hardware. Not because I thought I would continue to use it, but I just wanted to test it out. I've had one Chromebook, and it was so underpowered that I really couldn't even use Chrome OS and, and see if it was something that I even remotely enjoyed. So I thought this was an opportunity to give it a try. They publish a list of supported models, and this happened to be on that list. So I thought, okay, let's give it a shot. So rather than destroy both the Windows and Fedora installations, I thought I would back up the disk first. And if you recall, I recently had a not so great experience with Clonezilla. Uh, so I didn't feel particularly motivated to use it. Uh, Moss had mentioned that he prefers something called RescueZilla. Uh, so I tried that and it, uh, it has a nice GUI interface as compared to the very minimal text-based interface of Clonezilla. So it boots in and gives you sort of a nice like backup restore or something else and you know but it's much simpler to use to put it that way so um, i was able to back up the entire disk and then later restore it which leads me to the rest of the update uh, the restoration wasn't perfect but got me back to a point where i could get things done and i, I think it was more a case of how uefi works uh, in terms of the bios and registering a a new bootloader in a, a 
UEFI BIOS. So it, it registered Windows, but not Linux, even though the Linux partition was there. So there are some other options out there for bare metal backup other than RescueZilla that I may try just to see if it gets this part right as well. But at least I was able to get back <laughs> to where I started, which is really the most important part. So I did try using Chrome OS Flex for a few days and, uh, and it did work well for the most part, but it just, it's very limiting. The, if, if you're not aware of what Chrome OS is, I'm not going to really cover it in depth here, but the premise being that everything's web-based. So you're using the Chrome browser and then everything's like a web app. So if you're using YouTube, it's actually just Chrome running YouTube with all of the well, it's called Chrome, <laughs> all of the buttons and everything not visible. Um, so it's not really like it's an app. It's just another website. And, and there are some apps that run as apps, but for the most part, it's just, it's kind of a lightweight experience. And I really, the whole point of getting the tablet was running a full, you know, desktop operating system. And really what sort of ruined it for me was, you can run a virtualized Linux environment, which is how I thought I was going to be able to use this and be satisfied. But it's containerized or contained. So, for example, I installed Tailscale, which is essentially a mesh VPN solution so that I can connect to my systems here at home while I was away. I could connect through anything that was installed as part of that virtualized Linux environment. So Firefox uh, was running in there and then some other things, but trying to get to anything using Chrome or any of the stuff that's outside of that wasn't working. And so I thought, well, okay, this isn't going to be a, a great situation. It's just not going to work. So yeah, I just decided I'm glad I tried it. Uh, it gave me the opportunity to at least see that it worked. Um, but it just wasn't going to be, you know, the, the thing that I wanted to use the tablet for. So I got the system restored, as I mentioned, and I've you know, I've got Fedora back and then I sort of thought, well, you know, I'm not getting great battery life and Fedora isn't my favorite distro. So I'd rather be using something that's either Debian or Ubuntu based. So given that Ubuntu 23.10 was released not that long ago, I wanted to go ahead and give that a try. So I installed that and that gives me access to GNOME 45 as well as Wayland which uh, that was the part of using Fedora that I was enjoying. And so far, things have been working really well. I do this thing where I use Ubuntu after not having used it for a while. And then all of a sudden, it's like, wow, this is, I really like how they put this together. It's, I like how it looks and everything sort of functions nicely. And um, maybe that's just from years of using it and just sort of that being a standard in my mind with the, you know, the the bar on the left and at the top and, so anyway, um, so it's, it's running Eric, well. Yes, sir. Eric, now that you're back on Ubuntu and you're still having battery life problems, yes, you should go get a copy of Slimbook battery. Okay. I will give that a try. I did notice that it's slightly better than Fedora, um, but it's definitely, it does that thing where it'll say, oh, you have five hours left. And it's like, oh, okay, that's pretty good. And then 15 minutes later, you have four hours left. <laughs> like... Hmm. My math isn't so strong, but I think something's wrong here. Um, yeah. So whatever it is that's estimating the battery life is not very good. 
So the the hardware though is really what has impressed me the most. You know, I, I'll I'll figure out the software and I'll find something that satisfies me. But the hardware really is what you know makes or breaks the system uh, for me. Whether it's going to be usable and quite frankly, I didn't think that an older system, an eighth gen Intel quad core processor, even though it has eight threads, I mean it's still an i five uh, eighth gen. Uh, you know we're Many, many, many generations back, but it honestly is right there where it's just powerful enough without producing so much heat that the fan needs to run. So it's, it's, it hits the balance just right, uh, at least for what I've been doing with it. I'm sure if I pushed it harder, it would probably A, you know, show its age and B, the fans would come on or a fan would come on and it would be a different experience. But for doing the things I'm doing, it just runs very, very well. Having 16 gigs of RAM has kind of become my minimum. I know that's a bit of a privileged perspective with virtual machines and Firefox and other memory hogs. Uh, it really just makes, makes the system usable. So yeah, I've been really, really happy with that and continue to enjoy using it. And the last thing I have is uh black Friday is almost upon us, like literally <laughs> a couple days away. And you, by the time you hear this, it'll, be past Black Friday, but for us in the past, it's almost Black Friday. Uh, and I'm sh I have a few things that I'm looking for, and I know a lot of people wait all year to purchase things. I, I don't tend to go crazy, and I try to stay away from too much of the advertising because then I get the gimmies, and I really don't want to do that. But uh, do you, is, is this something you guys wait for, and do you have anything you're looking for? Well, last year, my wife and I went in all, went all in on Black Friday and Cyber Monday and all that stuff. But this year, we are having to watch our bucks because of uh, my wife's knee surgery coming up, and we don't know what that's going to cost. Gotcha. Dale? Usually, it's only if I am really looking for something. Um, like right now, one of my projects that I want to do is get a couple SSDs and set up a mirror or like a stripe and use that for my Plex media. Because uh, I can't remember if it was Wimpy or Popey. One of them had on the uh, Linux Matters podcast had done that to their media media center, um, their um, little box and all flash. And he was so tickled about how fast everything was. So I'm kind of interested on uh, doing that with mine because even I don't I looked at the price of enterprise drives and I I don't have a problem getting them as far as the cost you know to, uh, you know point of privilege like you said <laughs> but right I don't want to it's it's more of the thing is I can afford the things I just don't want to spend the money on the things because I'm cheap. <laughs> Well, and so, if you have patience and you can wait, that's kind of the exercise you go through here is it's like, yeah. well, I want to do it, but I know if I wait and I'm sure something like drives are going to be something that, uh, well, hopefully will be on sale. So we'll see. Yeah. If it doesn't sell out, it gets cheaper. Yeah. And my, my whole thinking is I can get some, um, Kingston A400s or the, uh, What's the other one? The higher end ones, um, K six hundreds, or one of the uh, crucial MX five hundred series. And like I said, 
um, uh, stripe them for performance. And everything's going to be backed up on the spinners in my Plex on uh, ZFS. So even if they do go belly up, (laughs) I'm not lost anything, except for the cost of the drives. Well, if you do it, I'm definitely curious to see how it goes. And um, so make sure you let us know if you do. Well, I'm going to report back because um, I did some research online about some other people. There are quite a few other people because of the costs involved, but uh, using some of the uh, Crucial MX500s or the uh, Kingston. I have some of a Kingston fan that's going back year, you know, decades with some mm. other memory and stuff back when memory had problems back in the 90s and stuff. And they yeah. seem to have less problems. So I guess we should uh, move things along here. I'll be talking all night. <laughs> <laughs> Updates where we discuss what we've learned about distros we've already reviewed. Well, I installed Bodhi 7 App Pack on my studio computer. This is the bloated form of Bodhi that really isn't very bloated, but uh, it installs everything that you might possibly need if you're into normal applications. There have been further upgrades in theming, including the main theme. I'm told by Stefan that he will be installing a key combination to turn off touchpads, which is one of the two main issues I continue to have and ignore in Bodhi. Uh, Dale? I look through some of the stuff I've reviewed in the past and some of the stuff I've been doing. And so I may have missed a few, but it was also a a time constraint for me Uh, getting home late on Monday when I usually have half the day to do things. So what I did find of some, uh, some interest is uh, Slackle 7.7, their open box edition was released. It is the uh, Slackware uh, derivative. It includes Linux kernel 6.1.57 and the latest updates from the Slackware current tree. Includes fairly recent applications, the popular ones you would expect, like Firefox 118. Appears that it's the only edition that they are updating. It appears that the uh, Mate and the KDE editions haven't been updated in close to three years. I saw their uh, announcement was sometime in 2020, so I uh, don't know what's going on with that, but I don't want to say it's been abandoned, but three years is a long time, especially when you're dealing with something based on Slackware. Well, three years ago, didn't Slackle come out with a Debian edition because they were afraid there wasn't ever going to be Slackware again? And then when Slackware 15 came out, they decided to go back uh, to Slackware with their current edition. They are not discontinuing their Debian edition. Am I am I on the right distro? One of the Slackware-based distros had that issue. I don't remember if that was Slacks or Sabix or... I can't keep track of all of them, but yeah, there was one that was going to rebase, but I don't remember. Um, it could just be work-life balance thing with, uh, with them not updating their... Uh, their additions, you know, the Mate and KDE. So I didn't want to go as far to say that they're abandoned, but three years is enough time to break something, especially when you're looking at uh, how Slack were, you know, source-based, so. Well, I do remember things wrong from time to time, so don't worry about it. 
Yeah, I don't remember things, so we're we're a good we're two peas in the pod. <laughs> yeah, Eric. I don't take it as a gospel, but uh, if you look at DistroWatch, they go f- uh, from current seven point seven release about all the way back to five point and they all say that the package managements are TXZ. Maybe they never did, or if they did another Debian edition that's categorized or cataloged separately, I don't know. Yeah, I went and opened up the website for Slackle, and they didn't say anything about what I just said. So uh, you can ignore it. It says it's uh, compatible with both Slackware and Salix. That's the other one I was thinking of. But I think there were some that were talking about rebasing, but who knows? Gotcha. So the the only other one that I had for everyone this uh, this month is uh, I saw a news article in my uh, news feed from the uh, Buddies of Budgie. It's uh, Josh's uh, group for the uh, Budgie desktop. They are getting help from a very unsuspecting team uh, for their uh, desires to uh, port to Wayland. And it was none other than the XFCE team. It was an interesting article discussing the state of Wayland in EFL, which is the Enlightenment Foundation Library, to a soft, I guess they call it temporary, fork of Mudder 43 called Magpie. Without getting into the weeds, apparently there are some changes in the Mudder 44 and Mudder 45 that were more Gnobe-centric that a lot of the teams would have to undo. So they did this, what they call a soft fork at 43, before the uh, GNOME team did all the changes. So if you uh, want to be up on the Wayland um, updates for the various ones, check out this link. Um, it talks more than just what I just spoke of. I was just being short for brevity. But it's nice to see the uh, Wayland train progressing it really feels inevitable at this point, doesn't it? Yeah, it seems like it's it gotten the, everybody's complaining about it's too soon. It's not soon enough. <laughs> yeah, right. What has um, it been? Fifteen years since they started it now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Back when I was listening to uh, Linux Unplugged, I I remember uh, Chris had sort of a tongue in cheek joke that Wayland's old enough to play first Prussian shooters, but isn't capable. <laughs> nice. But a bump. Nice. So Eric, what do you have to uh, report to us? Well, this is the first time I actually have anything to add to this section <laughs> because I've been just new enough that I haven't re- reviewed enough things to actually go back and have anything, you know, worth talking about. But I wanted to call attention to the fact that uh, I've been using Linux Mint as my daily driver uh, on my main system, my XPS laptop, for a while now. I reviewed it back in July. And now that I've been using Wayland on this new uh, tablet PC, I see the value of it because I literally just never used it prior to that. I tested it a few times. I had some issues with key bindings and some, you know, the basic problems that it has or shortcomings. Um, and just kind of gave up. But now that I've actually been using it, it's it's sort of like, and as we just mentioned, you know, it feels kind of inevitable. Inevitable. So, like, what is Linux Mint doing around this? And it turns out they uh, they actually are uh, working on this, and um, they had 
written something from their in their blog, which I'll just go ahead and read right now. It's not too long. Uh, the work started on Wayland. As mentioned earlier this year, this was identified as one of the major challenges our project had to tackle in the mid to long term. Priority has been given to ISO tools and secure boot over new features for 21.3 already. We felt it was time to invest some resources into Wayland as well. We don't expect it to replace Xorg as default anytime soon, not in 21.3, not in 22.x, but we want to be ready all the same. Cinnamon 6.0, planned for Mint 21.3 this year, will feature experimental Wayland support. You'll be able to select between Cinnamon, the default session running on Xorg, and Cinnamon on Wayland from the logon screen. The Wayland session won't be as stable as the default one. It will lack features and it will come with its own limitations. We won't recommend it, but you'll be able to give it a shot if you want, and it'll be there for interested people if they would like to give us feedback. A board was set up to keep track of Wayland development. It's available at the link in the show notes. As you can see on the board, many things are missing or broken, but we've got a functional session with window application and workspace management. We're able to log in, run most apps, manipulate windows, workspaces, Nemo, the panel, etc. We wanted to have a clear picture of the work involved, so we wanted to start now. In terms of timing, we don't think we need Wayland support to be fully ready, i.e. to be a better cinnamon option for most people, before 2026, which would be Mint 23.x. That leaves us two years to identify and to fix all the issues. It's something we'll continue to work on. Whenever it happens, assuming it does, we'll consider switching defaults. We'll use the best tools to do the job and provide the best experience. Today that means X or tomorrow it might mean Wayland. We'll be ready and compatible with both. And I think that's great news and I particularly like that they're taking a very slow, pragmatic approach, giving themselves plenty of time to create a solid Wayland experience on Linux Mint and Cinnamon. Like they say, you know, using the best tools, making the right decision for their users. And uh, that's just always the way that they look at uh, you know, any situation in front of them, any major change, they take their time with it and they make sure that it's the right thing to do at the right time. Exactly right. Uh, they do not uh, do like Ubuntu and use their users as guinea pigs. Beautiful failures. What we tried and failed to run or install this month. I have had amazingly zero failures this month, unless you count my Moto G phone. It still works, but needs frequent reboots in order to function. Dale? My failure this month was trying to dual boot Fedora 38 with LMDE6. After installing LMDE6, OS Prober wouldn't see Fedora. When I rebooted into Fedora, it was able to detect LMDE6 and add it to its grub menu. I did some searching and couldn't find any definitive answers to this problem. I looked back through the past episodes where I had issues with dual booting distros. What I came away with is the following. They each use ButterFS as the main file system and or a separate slash boot partition scheme where the slash boot uses ext4 and slash boot slash lowercase efi slash uppercase efi uses FAT32. I tried the default install of Debian 12 and LMDE6, 
There were no issues with LMDE6 seeing Debian 12, and it added it to its grub menu. Debian 12 uses a single boot partition using FAT32. Out of curiosity, I have done the following. I installed Debian 12 using the partitions that the Fedora installation created. I used ButterFS for root, ext4 for the slash boot, and FAT32 for slash boot slash EFI slash EFI, which FAT32 is the default for EFI anyways. LMDE6 wouldn't see Debian 12. Staying with Debian 12, doing a default install with the exception of using ButterFS instead of ext4, LMDE6 wouldn't see Debian 12. Next, I installed Fedora 38 and did a custom partitioning. The only change was I used ext4 instead of their default of ButterFS. I then installed LMDE6 again, selecting the slash dev slash SDA1 EFI partition that Fedora created for the EFI boot partition. Upon reboot, LMDE6 saw Fedora this time and booted to the desktop. Oddly, after a reboot to boot in, into uh, Fedora, I saw these errors. Error. Bad shim signature. Error. You need to load the kernel first. I think LMDE6, when it wrote its shim, somehow affected Fedora's EFI shim. Since Fedora 39 was released, I tried it with no change in my results. From what I have determined, I don't think the multiple slash boot partitions are the issue. I believe the issue is with ButterFS. This is a very puzzling conclusion given that it is a fully GPL compliant and in-kernel tree file system. When you add in the issues with it not being compatible with the GNU toolkit packages like DF and DU, it makes you wonder why. At least I was able to get to the bottom of the issue anyway. There is a silver lining though. I am getting pretty good at using the Anaconda installer. <laughs> Unfortunately, it doesn't mean that I like it any better than before. So with that disappointment, let's move along to Eric. Yeah, I, I don't know that I call that a silver lining. <laughs> but hey, you know, nothing wrong with saying... You could put that on a resume, right? <laughs> Extensive experience with the Anaconda installer. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, my biggest failure this month was just not really accomplishing much of anything. Uh, I... I just didn't have time that I normally would do for projects and extracurricular activities. Uh, I spent some time in the hospital and a good bit at various doctors' offices. Uh, it's nothing that unusual for me, yet somehow it still catches me off guard. Uh, there's nothing to do but hope that it's behind me now and that I can get back to, quote, normal, <laughs> whatever that is. But hey, as one of my friends say, any day spent above the dirt is a good day. And with that, let's move on to the review. Okay, this month we are reviewing Linux Mint Debian Edition 6, codename Faye. LMDE is Linux Mint Cinnamon on a Debian base. It has been the contingency plan for Linux Mint if they ever had to switch away from Ubuntu. 
Considering all the changes Canonical has made with Ubuntu over the years, Mint is still using Ubuntu. LMDE started in 2010 based on Debian testing. Starting with LMDE2 on April 10th of 2015, it would be based on Debian Stable. All future versions would be based on the current stable branch of Debian and would follow the Debian Stable release schedule. So we'll hear what Eric has to say. So each of us are doing our own little introduction here, just, just so this doesn't feel too uh, incongruent. But um, when I think of my opening thoughts on LMDE, um, I recognize the importance of having a contingency plan in place, which is the, you know, sort of the whole point of LMDE. But I've never quite understood the ongoing nature of LMDE. We're, um, you know, we're about 13 years into this now. As a parallel project that is just different enough to the more mainstream offering, it has essentially become its own thing. I'm not convinced the contingency will ever come to fruition and have to wonder exactly how long the Linux Mint team will continue to support both. I suppose one of the reasons that LMDE can exist on the side, like it does, is having a much smaller user base and I'm making the assumption a much more self-sufficient, technically focused one that doesn't require a large effort on their part to support. How about you, Moss? We have previously reviewed LMDE 3, 4, and 5 on this show. In those cases, it was decided that this distro was a good backup plan, but was not yet ready for primetime usage. I'm fairly certain that Canonical will continue making, quote, good business decisions, end quote, which help Ubuntu, but which undermine many of the things other Ubuntu-based distros are doing. So I'm equally certain that this is not a throwaway project and will continue. With the positive growth in Debian, this could wind up being the way to go. Okay, our hardware. Eric, let's start with you. So unlike uh, most of my reviews, I actually chose to do this on my desktop because I thought it would be a better fit. So that's an AMD Ryzen 5 5600 6-core uh, 12-thread processor, 16 gigs of RAM, 2 terabytes of storage spread over four different drives, and then an NVIDIA GeForce RTX 2060 with 6 gigs of VRAM. How about you, Dale? I'm still using my Lenovo ThinkPad T460 as the dual-core i5-6200U at 2.8 gigahertz, a 14-inch display using Intel HD Graphics 520, has 16 gigabytes of DDR3 memory, and a 500 gigabyte Samsung 860 Evo SSD. I ran LMD6 with Cinnamon on my test computer, the T540P I talk about every month. I also loaded it on my studio computer, a Lenovo. I also loaded it on my studio computer, the Lenovo ThinkCenter M700 Tiny, but changed the desktop to Mate, completely removing Cinnamon using instructions supplied by Londoner. The M700 has an Intel Core i5-6500T running from 2.5 gigahertz up to 3.10 gigahertz. Four single-threaded cores, 16 gigs of DDR4 RAM, Intel HD 530 graphics, and a 512-gig Samsung 850 EVO SSD. Installation ease and issues. Dale? The installation is the same as with Linux Mint. There is an option to encrypt your home folder. You also have the option of using LVM, which is logical volume management, where you can 
use multiple drives to appear as one, uh, one drive. Another feature you don't see on other distros is the ability to write random data to the drive. This is a way of wiping the data so it cannot be recovered. So if you're giving the computer away or the drive away, you don't have to worry about what's on it. I selected the manual partitioning, which opens a window showing the current partitions and a link for gparted. Once in gparted, I split the available space in half because I wanted the dual boot Fedora Sway to get familiar with it while I'm away at work. I created an ext4 partition and a 4 gig swap for LMDE6 since Fedora uses the ZRAM for swap. I applied the changes and exited gparted. Once back to the current partition screen, I clicked the refresh button. From there, I assigned SDA4 to root, SDA5 to swap, and SDA1 for the boot slash EFI, which is the EFI system partition that Fedora created. Oddly, it was identified as macOS X. That was weird, and even when I installed it on my Tiny today, it showed up as macOS Oh, so it was consistent. Interesting. Yeah, it's it weird. That is weird. When I was playing around with it. Huh. But I only have LMDE6 on this now. But yeah, because I already had it on here previously. I think that would have been a head scratcher for me. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of weird. I confirmed my choices and started the installation. Once completed, I was instructed to remove the USB stick and press enter. I pressed enter and nothing happened. I waited a couple minutes and pressed enter again. After about another minute, I held the power button down to force the T460 off, which incidentally is the same thing I had to do to my Lenovo Tiny when I installed it. Which is, uh, I don't want to say weird because they're both Lenovo, so could this be a bias firmware bug that they share? During other installations, I removed the USB stick and press enter, which did reboot the laptop and other installations. I removed the USB stick and it rebooted on its own. Very odd behaviors, very kind of uh, inconsistent indeed. Upon reboot, oh, after it locked up, it didn't see Fedora listed as a boot option. This opened quite a rabbit hole as to why it didn't detect a Fedora. I will not elaborate any further since I mentioned this in my beautiful failures. In the end, I installed Fedora Sway and LMDE6 without installing Grub. I let Fedora's Grub boot both Fedora and LMDE6. Sometimes that's just the easiest way to way to go, you know. Yeah, you 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 consider your losses. Yeah, I, I've done the same thing where I'll. Even if I'm not using that distro, it just happens to be the one that has the right grub menu. So anyway, uh, so LMD, uh, I've noticed, uh, uses a, a different installer um, than the main edition, uh, which is using Ubiquity, which of course you'd expect that. It uses at least the running process is called live-installer. Uh, and it, it it's essentially doing the same thing. Of course, it's an installer. It's putting the system image on there. Uh, but it, it does differ very slightly. So I sort of put the basic steps down and the, I'm not going to read through all of it, but basically the difference is it 
doesn't give you the option to install the codecs as part of installation like Ubiquity does. And then it just sort of switches around the picking your your time zone versus picking your keyboard layout. And you're still, you still do them, you just do them in a slightly different order. Uh, partitioning looks a little different, um, but again, functions in a very similar fashion. Um, it shows you a summary before you click installation. So, I mean, I, I basically, I think the gist is that just the, the whole point of LMDE is that in case something were to happen and Canonical makes a decision that they can't work with, uh, I wouldn't expect that Ubiquity would be part of that as well. So uh, that they would have an alternate installer to use. So uh, the only real difference I saw, and this is so <laughs> barely uh, important, but I just thought I'd mention it, is that it was about 20% faster, the uh, the LMDE one. Um, and we're talking maybe like two or three minutes difference because they both were pretty darn fast. So Moss, what did you think of the installation? Well, it just felt like what I was used to, so I assumed it was ubiquity. Shows I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> it's okay. Very minor yes. thing. Yeah, same, same for me. I, you, you install things so many times you get used to it. Right. So. Post-installation hardware facts and issues. Everything looked and felt the same as I expected from regular Linux Mint, but I noticed a few things. When I installed LMDE, many of the Firefox extensions, including Proton VPN, were not available. What was interesting was they got enabled about two weeks later. Another interesting thing is that the workspaces looked normal on the default installation, but on my desktop, where I installed Mate Desktop, they are about half the normal width. We did find out just before recording this show that Discord does not push good volume. It sounded like we were talking through cups on strings, so that's a minus for now. <laughs> Eric? Yeah, yeah. So the differences between Linux Mint, and I have just recently reviewed 21.2 and am using it every day. Uh, so the, the differences are, are very small. You know, they're noticeable if you're looking for them. So they both greet you with the welcome screen and give you basically a step-by-step -step approach to setting up your backup and running updates and configuring the firewall and just sort of all those things. Because LMD doesn't present you with the option to install the multimedia codecs during the installation process, it actually has a, a separate item in that welcome list uh, to do that. Now, I don't know this to be 100% true, but I assume that if you chose not to install them as part of the Mint installation, like the normal Ubiquity one, that it would be there in that instance as well. Um, but I, again, I don't know that to be true. I think it probably just checks to see if the package exists and if it doesn't, then presents that as an option. Otherwise the welcome process is exactly the same as is the pre-installed applications. The only exception I could find looking at them literally side by side was that Mint has a font manager installed and LMD does not. Obviously I'm almost positive you'd be able to install it manually. I didn't actually try that. I should have <laughs> now that I'm thinking of it. But uh, so, I mean, we're talking basically the same exact system, right? Just the base is, is different. Um, in terms of uh, software and software support, both of them come with Mint Software Center, which includes support for native repo packages, as well as flat packs from FlatHub that's pre-configured. 
the software available in the repos varies because obviously one's based on Ubuntu and one's based on Debian. So you can expect some differences, but nothing, you know, monumental, I don't think. Uh, regardless, I was able to either find everything I wanted in the repos as a flat pack or by downloading a dev file and installing it that way. And I wanted to butt in here and state we all glossed over the fact that uh, the Mint Software Center includes support for FlatHub and flat packs, And that is a big thing. That is something that you can't find in almost any other distro that I have used. Yeah. And... And we need we need to give the Mint team some extra kudos for that. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, and I, I would say the only other thing, I, one I can think of is because Fedora is so heavily reliant on FlatHub for distributing uh, the ancillary sort of GNOME software, um, they have it pre-configured as well. But yes, almost no one else does. Uh, so um, Cinnamon is the same between the two. So you get the same first-class experience from Linux Mint's flagship desktop environment. It's a top three choice for me, so I have absolutely no complaints. And anytime I run Cinnamon on a non-Mint distro, I end up just making it look like Mint anyway. <laughs> so that's how Cinnamon's supposed to look in my mind. So one possible significant difference between the two is the kernel. So Mint uses LTS kernels, uh, 5.15.0-76 generic as of writing this, while LMDE is using a much newer 6.1.0-12-AMD64 kernel. I think most people, you know, most systems out there, unless it's like brand new cutting edge, uh, the 5 series kernel with hardware enablement works just fine. If not, there is the Cinnamon Edge ISO, which comes with the 6.2 kernel. And it's still based on Ubuntu. So my hardware is well supported. Uh, I had no issues. Um, other than that, I didn't notice uh, really anything different. I think, again, you probably will maybe not have access to certain packages in the stock, in the uh, the repos. Maybe there's something that, that Debian doesn't have uh, in their repo by default where, you know, Ubuntu might. So... But otherwise, uh, it's a very, very similar experience. So, Dale, what did you think? One thing I have always liked about Cinnamon is the familiar interface to that of Windows. Finding the applications or settings that is needed is much easier compared to Windows. It doesn't change from one release to the next like Windows. I think Linux Mint is one of the best at onboarding a user. Many distros are using welcome screens, but not to the level of detail as Linux Mint. I mean, I used it when I set up mine, and it was just very logical, and it brought you back to where you closed that window, and you just continued where you were, right down the list. And uh, I think that level of detail is, is commendable. The welcome screen logically walks you through everything you want to do on a new installation, setting the themes and colors, configuring the ButterFS snapshots, installing updates uh, that you know that happened since the ISO was created, um, your system settings, and installing the applications. 
The welcome screen eliminates the thought of, now what do I do? The names listed in the system settings are aptly named. The search box at the top is a great uh, for when you don't know what it's called, but you know what you're looking for. The software center is well presented with a search box of its own. Each application clearly shows where it's sourced from, for those of you that want to know that detail. One thing that always bugs me about GUI software centers is when you're installing an application, there is no feedback as to how far along the process is or, you know, very little feedback, which is why I prefer using the command line. The Linux Mint Software Center has a small bar that shows the progress of the download and installation. Many of the popular applications are listed, removing the need to uh, search for them. And there's also a little arrow you click on, and it'll actually open up the terminal output as it's doing the installation, so you can get even more detail. I tried adding Q Redshift, which is one of the many spices. It is an application that changes the color temperature of the screen. It installed, but when I went to configure it, it was disabled with a warning that it could cause instability issues. I looked on the Mint forums and someone already had the issue. I followed all the suggestions that fixed their issue, which were to remove the Redshift-GTK and disable the SystemD service. None of them were found on my installation. Further into my search, I found a comment from four months ago on the uh, website for the Spices for Linux Mint stating that it wasn't working anymore. So I, I gave up and removed it and then installed regular Redshift. One great improvement is in the software manager. The Flatpak integration is very good as we had previously had talked about. When searching for an application, Flatpak packages are identified in the lower left of the description box. The native packages don't have anything shown in that same area. After clicking on the package listing, there is a drop-down menu next to where you would click to install it. This drop-down menu allows you to select if it's a native package or a Flatpak. And if it's only available in one, you're not going to be able to do that. Another nice feature is the option to switch to a faster mirror. The software manager, when set to the default site, will ask you if you want to switch to a faster mirror. And I did, as a side note, I did find something that kind of annoyed me about it. Because if the default is the fastest for you, every time you open it, it'll say, Hey, you want to try a faster one? when it already is the faster one. <laughs> so a little, a little nitpick, which, you know, geographically, you know. Those things can change. So, you know, they, it yeah, it can too. So I'm not really nitpicking. The main thing is to ignore it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm not nitpicking it too much because in Northeast Ohio, it may be faster here, but, you know, for uh, Eric in Florida, it be, might be a different story, you know, so. I have also found sometimes the faster uh, mirrors may not be may not have all the updates i don't know why i've been connected to mr jester a number of times and they couldn't find the package i was trying to update i've also seen depending on how they test that maybe they get a you get a good ping but 
when you actually go to download things, there's like a lot of latency and getting the files and stuff. So sometimes that popularity contest, I think is what they call it, uh, isn't always fantastic. I, I've, I have good luck with just the standard mirrors, frankly. <laughs> yeah. I think it's a capacity issue because it's sort of, it's sort of like the Google maps issue where it's saying, Hey, I found a faster route, but I'm not going to tell you that I just gave this fastest route to uh, a thousand other people. So it's no longer <laughs> going to be the fastest route anymore. <laughs> nice. Well, I, I will suggest that you get off the Linux mint main mirror mainly because Firefox devs tend to be a lot slower through the... My brain went out. You finish it. <laughs> this test is automated. The only action required is for you to uh, click on the uh, where it shows the list of uh, the current one. And then when it's done, you just select the one that you want to use. Then the fastest... If you click the... I think it's the up arrow or the down arrow... It sorts it from fastest to slowest because I had mine, it was showing the slowest one first. So I had to click on that arrow and it showed me the fastest one. Upon closing that window, the repository cache is updated automatically. Then you are able to install the updates. The following screen shows what packages are being removed, upgraded, or added to satisfy any dependencies. A window appears showing the status of the uh, upgrade via the uh, moving progress bar with an option to see the terminal output. If there are any Flatpak updates, a window changes to show it is updating Flatpaks. In my opinion, this is pretty good attention to detail. If more GUI package managers were this informative, I could be swayed away from using the uh, command line. One thing they don't tell you that they do do in Linux Mint is if there are orphaned packages in Flatpak, they clean those up. They don't tell you, but they clean them up. Hmm, that's cool. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Uh, and I completely agree with you, Dale. I don't use GUI package managers, but Mint Software Center is probably the best of the bunch on Linux desktops. So, so ease of use, Eric. I reviewed the current release of Linux Mint, which is 21.2, uh, in episode 44 back in July of this year. I'd been using Mint prior to that review and been using it many times over the years. Uh, it's always been one of the more consistent distributions and it's particularly easy to use. I rarely run into issues that I myself didn't cause. I'm very good at that. Uh, although that's not to say it's perfect, no software is, but the Linux Mint team focuses squarely on the end user and making it easy for the end user to maintain their system. Uh, nothing has changed since July. Uh, the system's been great, and I don't suspect it will change anytime soon. Yes, I, I did notice that some of the uh, packages are more recent than the Flatpak. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I've had few issues since sometime in the second week of using it when they fixed the Firefox plugins issue, and then just today noticed that issue with video on Discord. Actually, it's the audio on uh, Discord video that was a problem. Dale? I didn't have any issues. Mostly it was cosmetic. I changed the mouse pointer to a black arrow. I thought the default pointer was a bit too big, at least to me. I also slowed down the pointer speed, though this is a specific issue with the uh, track point. 
If I had to use a touchpad, I would do the same thing. I think the speed of the pointer is fine for a trackball or a traditional mouse. There are some pretty nice dark themes and are pretty uniform across applications. Having accent colors is a nice touch, sort of like the, uh, the close uh, and open and minimize client-side des desktop uh, decorations. You can have like a different color highlighting them instead of just the regular panel color. During my use of LMDE6, I really couldn't tell I wasn't using Linux Mint Cinnamon, the uh, Ubuntu base. That is something the previous versions of LMDE couldn't pull off. It was usually something that required opening a terminal and using a command from the Debian forums or wiki. That sounds like a, a change then. I really have not beyond just sort of firing it up and taking a very cursory look. I had never run it long enough to run into something like that. So that's that's great that they've come that far with it. So They really have. Like I said, I was considering throwing uh, Linux Mint out the window. It was so good. You know, why have both on the system? But anyhow, let's move on. Memory and disk use. Dale? I noticed we had some discrepancy in the disk space. That's just because of our, our applications and <clears throat> the use of the time shift, which the others will get into. But in my use case, I used about 15 gigabytes on the SSD and... I used about 1.1 gigabytes of memory on a uh, clean boot. Let's see what Moss, what he has to report here. I used 13.6 gigabytes of space on my Studio Machines SSD, but I did try using DF-H and it came up with 7.8 gigs, and I think it was just one partition. Uh, my memory was also 1.1 gigs, uh, reported by Free-HM. On my laptop, I had 36.9 gigs of space used. I think that may have included a time shift directory. And it was using 1.2 megs of memory using free-hm on my laptop. Eric? So I used 7.3 gigs with a just a clean, fresh install, literally straight after installing uh, by using df-h. Uh, I ran the updates and then it was over eight gigabytes. So it was like 8.2, uh, I think, or something like that. So, so the updates did add some, but, uh, but yeah, I think with these numbers, you really just kind of have to take it as an average. So the three of us, you know, is somewhere between 10 and 12, it looks like, uh, Dale had a little bit higher, but, uh, you know, so that gives you some idea. And then we were all very consistent. I had 1.1 gigs of memory used. Uh, with my usual wild true do free HM sleep 10 uh, and let that run for a few minutes. Uh, it actually never changed. N normally, most distros will go up and then drop back down, but it stayed at 1.1 .1 the whole time. I, I noticed that. Yeah. Yeah. This is not a light desktop. No. 1.1 gigs is not what you would call light. Uh, it's probably lighter than GNOME, but uh, everything else you could use would be lighter. But if you really like cinnamon, which a lot of people really do, yeah. most machines are new enough that you've got 8 gigs or 16 gigs of RAM on them, and 1.1 gigs is nothing. But if you're down to a 2 gigabyte machine, this is a bit heavy for you. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, when I reviewed Cinnamon Edition of, of Debian a few episodes back, I had about the same 1.2, 1.3. And about the uh, disk space, it also, if you prefer flat packs 
over the uh, native packages, that's where I think my disk space uh, is. Good point. Is a lot higher. Yep. Is I'm just a creature of habit. When I do this, I have a, a script, mm -hmm. and I just copy and paste, and it just installs all the flat packs of all the proper names. With, a, and this is a thing that I don't think people have looked up. If you're tired of saying yes, that's the correct one. Yes, that's the correct one. They do have a dash y command that you can put in the install. And it will stop asking you, is this the correct reference? Is this the correct one? Is this the correct one? Yeah. And after you've done that 30 times, you're like, what time did I just save? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I hear you. All righty then. Ease of finding help. Finding help should be as easy as finding the Linux Mint forum. It's Debian plus Cinnamon plus extra Mint tools. There's nothing to see here. You should be able to get plenty of help. For anything Debian and anything Mint. Dale? There are many great people who hang out in the Mintcast Telegram group and the Discord channels, along with the aforementioned Linux Mint forums. And because this is Debian based, you can still get away with going on to uh, Linux questions or uh, even the Debian forums. Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't thought of that. But borrowing from my experience with episode 44 reviewing the regular release 21.2 um you know linux mint is one of those long-lived distros which just has a huge community i mean there i would guess hundreds of thousands of people using mint if not more um and so everywhere people talk about linux you're probably going to have some amount of talking about mint there's stuff on reddit there's stuff you know basically everywhere um, but the, the more official things are the community forums, like Moss said. There's a community portal website that sort of kind of guide you around. Uh, GitHub, you know, you can go there and look at their development and leave uh, feedback there. Facebook, Twitter, IRC chat, Discord, and there's even local communities around the world that are like uh, Mint user groups. So, yeah, they're <laughs> 24 hours a day, seven days a week. There's somebody somewhere that can can talk to you, and they also have an installation guide that's available in 24 different languages. So, lots of ways to get help for sure. So, with that, let's move on to playing nice with others. Deal? That's quite a few languages. I don't know if I could sit here and name off 24. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let alone uh, try to speak any of them. If you're using a distro that uses ext4 you will not have a problem which is what most distros use fedora and some arch-based distros will use butterfs though fedora detected other distros when the other arch-based distros didn't which not to go down that rabbit hole again but that just still blows my mind using the same software different results anyways this is very puzzling considering most are using Grub and OS Prober. Even if the Arch-based distros are using a newer Grub, it still should function like the previous version. Of course, this could be a mistaken assumption that there wouldn't be a feature regression. Maybe the next disruption in Linux will be the migration away from Grub to System Deboot. I mean, Slackware is still using Lilo. And uh, Elilo, <laughs> I thought that was buried 
decades ago, but Peter's still using it. <laughs> Moss, what did you think? Well, um, Fedora and Arch, as I understand it, use a different kind of grub, but it should play nicely with any Debian or Ubuntu-based distro. Even so, that's enough to knock a few ticks off the score. I have had Manjaro find all of my distros so long as Manjaro controlled grub, but if I gave the grub to another distro, they wouldn't find Manjaro. Hmm. I would have to literally go into the uh, boot manage, uh, manager at, you know, hit enter when the Lenovo logo comes up. Eric? You know, it's interesting. I think maybe some of that has to do with the folder structure. If you look, it's some of them do this like EFI slash EFI slash, you know, like so many uh, layers deep. So maybe that has some, I don't know. Someday maybe I'll figure it out. But in this case, at least, uh, Linux Mint, for me, automatically found anything, including Windows and other stuff that were installed that were EFI bootloaders that were registered with the system. So if it was... Uh, you know, in the menu, it was something that it found. So, of course, as Dale and Moss mentioned, there are lots of exceptions to this. And booting can become frustrating given all the different uh, different ways of, of handling it. So, even like Dale said, even with the same software. So, go figure. But uh, Yeah, because it gets even more complicated because you can boot off of the root partition. You can boot off of the uh, beginning of the drive. Yeah. I mean, there's so many layers. Yep, absolutely. So um, we didn't cover stability in tremendous depth, um, but Moss had a thought on that. If anything, it is probably more stable than Linux Mint 21 due to the Debian base. There are no fears about running sudo apt auto remove because unlike, for instance, Arch, Mint saves the original installed kernel and the latest two, even after auto-remove. So, similar distros to check out. Why don't you do that one, Dale? Sure. Linux Mint 21 dot uh, disp- uh, subversions, Debian 12, Q4OS, Solid X and Solid K, and Ubuntu Cinnamon. In ratings, we were going to kind of do this collaboratively, but I see Eric has just filled them in for us. I just took a stab uh, at it, and I'm, I, I'm, it's, I'm opening the discussion. So as we go through them, if yeah. anyone has a differing opinion, please please say so. New user, 9 out of 10? Are we cool? I always have a hard time saying 10 out of 10 for new user just because it could be – it's enough yeah. of a foreign concept. So 9, I think, is as good as you can get. Right. So. At least at least eight, 8 or 9. Yeah. Okay, experience user, 10 out of 10. I'm good with that. Hardware issues. I mean, I, I didn't have anything. It's a newer kernel. I don't know if you guys saw any issues with hardware. Well, we had some software issues, which is not on here. You know, we had, had the problem with uh, Firefox in the beginning because it wouldn't load the extensions. Yeah. And then the problem today that we had with Discord. Yeah. That's a fair point. Maybe we should add that. I don't know. Yeah, software issues. Yeah, software issues. Yeah, yeah, because it's also like the issue I had with when you eject the disk or not the disk. You know, showing my age there. When you eject the USB stick, you press enter. Well, nothing happened. That happened to me twice, and then two other times. One time, I pulled the stick out, and literally after I pulled the stick out, it rebooted. And then another time, it waited for me to press enter. So I don't and. These were both Lenovo machines, so mm-hmm. 
like I said, it could be a firmer thing yeah. in it. Well, ease of finding help, that's an easy 10. Absolutely. There's nothing easier to find help for than Debian or men. <laughs> ease of use. Uh, I mean, I, I think it's a 10 out of 10, and I'm thinking this in terms of like all of you know, installing software, we've said, you know, that the software center for Mint is probably, you know, best in class and running updates is excellent. The integration of system snapshots or, or backups, uh, having, um, flat packs and flat hub automatically set up for you so that you don't even have to do that. Like, I think they pretty much covered all the ground I can think of. Yeah. I think I might be as bold to say that this is how Windows should function. Now, granted, the last time I used Windows was like 2017, <laughs> but I'm sure Microsoft hasn't improved upon it since then. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can tell you that their software center is still very frustrating. So. Okay. What's next? Plays nice. Yeah. Plays. Yeah. The plays nice with others. I, I stuck eight in there just because, you know, you were talking about how you were having issues with Grub and, I mean, I don't know. Is that well? Th Mint's this fault? is a grub, you know. This is a grub thing. Yeah, but uh, yeah, we still gotta have it. Stability, I'd say ten out of ten is easy. I will point out, none of us used it for gaming, so we do not know <laughs> how the gaming performance is. Right. But we probably wouldn't recommend it. I don't know. I don't know. You know, I mean, if you could get the, if you needed a, a closed source driver. Um, and if probably still has steam on it and I, probably can get play on Linux up yeah. in no time, but, yeah. but yeah, we that, haven't tried it, so we can't vouch. For Fair it. enough. That's that's one of the things that we did mention. I was going to mention too, but that just spurred a memory here. One of the things you have to do with the caveat attempter is uh, we didn't do proprietary drivers. So that was one sticking point, even with Linux Mint Cinnamon is what this is going to call a spade a spade. NVIDIA. It's the only one you're going to have problems with. Well, and to be fair... And I've had problems. Uh, I mean, I, I was using the the NVIDIA driver from... Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, in it, but I, I am not doing anything gaming or I didn't try doing any kind of like rendering or anything where it would have actually used the driver outside of just, yeah. you know, basic stuff. So... Yeah, it's like my, my T540P has both Intel and NVIDIA graphics, but I don't think I've ever actually activated the NVIDIA driver. <laughs> I've installed it. <laughs> it's just there in case. Okay, our overall rating. It looks like we're hovering around a nine, are we? Unless we wanted to do like 9.9. <laughs> I mean, we have an eight. <laughs> In ease of use, an eight in software issues, and a nine for ease of installation for new users. So, I mean, that everything else is tens. That's that's a nine. That's a nine. That's a nine. Do you concur, Dale? Oh, yeah. I just wanted to ask okay. um, Eric one quick question. Was there a big difference between the driver install on Mint Cinnamon compared to LMDE? Yes, because there wasn't the option to do it through the UI. Okay, uh, that's that's what I wanted to know if they hadn't done that yet. Correct. Because that's pretty much a Debianism. Yep. Where uh, they would probably have to write something on their own, and I don't. Yeah, know they don't have Clem, a driver. 
LMDE does not have a driver manager. It's yeah. true. Right. And I'm not sure if Clem and his team really wants to tackle that. I think they've been tackling it and decided to leave it off for now. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And you know, as they do more things with Wayland, they're not going to have a choice but to do something. Right. Uh, yeah. So anyway, all right. Here we are. Final comments. Final comments. That's yes. me. So here we are. Are we ready to answer the questions? Is LMDE6 ready for regular use? What would you need to see change in order to use it as your daily driver? Would it hurt any to remove Mint 21.2 from your system permanently and run LMD6 instead? Dale. I mentioned in my review that I couldn't tell that I wasn't using a Debian-based Linux Mint. The only potential issue I could see, as we just mentioned, is with the out-of-kernel tree graphics driver support. Namely, NVIDIA. Even though AMD does have out-of-tree driver support, um, you shouldn't have as many problems as you do with NVIDIA. Though Bill from Mintcast had some issues with his that he mentioned in his wanderings. So, go figure. However, I had problems when I used Linux Mint Cinnamon in 2018 with my old NVIDIA card. I think it was a 1650. I was using that on my desktop, so I can't fault there being a potential issue with the driver installation support in LMDE. Now that I am all AMD, I don't see a problem using LMDE as my daily driver. In fact, I'm seriously considering it over Debian with XFCE or Cinnamon, for that matter, as my go-to for stability and usability. It would take some configuration time to get the uh, vanilla Debian to the level of LMDE. And as a spoiler, that's what I actually running on my uh, Think Center Tiny is LMDE 6. So, what are your thoughts on this, Eric? Yeah, you make a good point. So, Debian does include the Cinnamon desktop. It is the bare bones vanilla version of it, which, if you're used to running Mint or even LMDE, you may have never seen what that looks like, and it's it's actually a little jarring. So uh, it is a service to have LMDE to just, you know, if you wanted to run a Debian base and have a nicely configured Cinnamon desktop with a good curated set of uh, software and some great tools like the Software Center and all that stuff, then, yeah, I mean, that's that's a great way to go. So I see the value there. However, as I alluded to in my introduction, uh, even though I understood when the Linux Mint team set about creating LMDE, you know, Canonical had been has been known to make some decisions that result in uh, issues downstream for, for distros that rely on it. Uh, you know, sometimes it's just a, a small ripple on the surface, and sometimes it's a tidal wave. It can be an uncomfortable and uncertain position to be in for a developer. I mean, it threatens to undermine what might be a tremendous amount of work on your part. I don't necessarily fault Canonical for making changes when they have the right to do that. I mean, it's their business. And after all, they provide a heck of a lot of bandwidth to millions of users that otherwise wouldn't have, they wouldn't have to uh, if they weren't the base for so many other distros. You know, while these things are true and continue to be so, I find the perpetual state of limbo that LMDE exists in to be a it's an odd juxtaposition of, of sort of riding the wave of success 
that Ubuntu affords while simultaneously holding it in contempt to some degree. While the threat of making a change, either in code or politics, that the Linux Mint team finds unacceptable is still there, Canonical has yet to step over the line in, uh, as I mentioned, 13 years since the first release of LMD was, was put out there. Maybe I'm one of the few that still sees LMD as just a contingency plan, while others see it as, you know, just an Ubuntu-free version of Linux Mint. That's probably more of a personal thing for me. It's one of the reasons, certainly, that I don't consider running it as a day-to-day thing, because I just feel like it's not their primary release. And if they were truly invested in it and had concerns about Ubuntu they're canonical, then they would just switch, but they haven't. So I find that to be an odd situation. So for me, I'm happy to stick with the main release. Uh, and I suppose that there's at least some small comfort knowing that if in case something, you know, does take an unexpected turn, that LMDE will be there as an alternative. So Moss, what do you think? Well, Dale, you mentioned that you're running LMDE on your Think Center Tiny. And I noticed when I booted over to LMDE that my Discord audio was really crappy. And that might be what's happened to your video, to your audio when we were trying to use on your desktop earlier. Hmm. So you might want to consider putting Linux Mint on it and trying that. You probably have enough room on your disk to dual boot. Yeah, it's a, it's a 500, I think. Well, my biggest question when we started this was, can I run this full time instead of regular Mint? I was all ready to say yes until we tried running our Discord video chat. But now, hmm, maybe I better wait until LMDE 7. (laughs) So let's move on to new releases. Hey, that's me. New releases this month from October 19th to November 22nd. Blue Star 6.5.7. Open Mamba 2023-1021, Plop Linux 23.5, I really should check that out, Regatta 23.0.18, TrueNAS 23.10.0 Scale, OSGO Live 16.0, Arco Linux 23.11.03, Snell 1.30, GhostBSD 23.10.1, Fuguita 7.4, Alt 10.2 Simply, Garuda twenty three ten twenty nine, Ganopics twenty three point eleven, Tails five point one nine, Xero Linux twenty twenty three point eleven, SmartOS twenty twenty three eleven oh two, Arch Linux twenty twenty three point eleven point oh one, Nutix twenty three point eleven point zero, Big Linux twenty thirteen dash eleven dash oh three, Slackle seven point seven point one, Open Mamba twenty twenty three eleven oh six. Tuxedo 2-2023-1106, Clonezilla 3.1.1-27, Relyanoid 7.0, UbiPorts 20.04 OTA3, Backbox Linux 8.1, Makululix 2023-11-09, Alma Linux 9.3, KOS 2023.11, FreeBSD 14.0, Maybox 23.11, SmartOS 2023-1116, KDE Neon 2023-1116, Eurolinux 9.3, PSSense 2.7.1, Eurolinux 8.9, Oracle 9.3, Berry 1.38, Cache OS 23.1118, Cache 
Rocky 9.3, Endeavor OS 11-2023, FreeBSD 14.0, Alma Linux 8.9, Regatta 23.0.32, and Rocky 8.9. We don't have any feedback this month, so we move on. Announcements. For chatting with us further, you may choose to join our Telegram group or our Discord channel. Dale? I am Dale underscore CDL on Telegram and Discord. And my email is Dale underscore CDL at PM dot me. Eric? Yes, sir. I can be reached on just about every social media platform except for that goofy single letter one that I have utterly given up on. Uh, we, we can just X that out and forget about it. Ah, <laughs> love it. Good job. Uh, I you just use my name, Eric Adams, so uh, you can find me there. Uh, let's see. I'm on Mastodon, Discord, Telegram, Matrix, and all those. You can email me at eaonlinux at proton.me, and you can see and hear more of me on Mintcast, on Linux OTC, on Linux Lugcast, and on Linux Saloon. He is everywhere. Everywhere. You can hear me typing on this show and others. <laughs> And you can hear me every week on Full Circle Weekly News and Mintcast. My email is bardmoss at pm.me, and I'm on Mastodon as at zyvola at hosttux.social. Plus, you can find me, Dale, and Dylan at itsmoss.com. We need to record a new outro as Eric has taken over editing tasks for this podcast. Thanks, Eric. Well, I haven't edited yet, so you might not want to thank me. <laughs> <laughs> Nonetheless, it still says Tony in the outro. Gotcha. Well, you know what? He still deserves credit. Absolutely. Even if he's not doing it. Let, let, let's end this show, shall we? Let's do it. Before we go, we would like to thank all those people who make this project possible. Archive.org for storing and helping to distribute this program. Audacity, which we use for recording and editing the show. Tony Hughes for managing the website and producing and editing the podcast. Joshua Lowe for our work on our logo. All those who work on the teams which are creating, adapting, and maintaining the Linux distros we have reviewed this episode. Mid-Air Machine creators of the song Streets of Santivo uses our music under Creative Commons license. Thanks to Linus Torvalds for the kernel, Richard Stallman for the GNU toolkits, and all those who have worked behind the scenes on free and open source and Libre software. We'll be back next month. Thank all of you for listening. <laughs>